Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this episode with Jamie Rogan, the music director and drummer for Billy Currington, this is pretty cool. I'm so excited to be able to, to talk with him and get an idea of what it looks like to be a music director for a huge country act like this. Uh, I wanted to take a second to thank the sponsor for our podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As brass players, the mouthpieces we choose to use will have a huge impact on the sound our instrument produces, as well as determining how easy it is to produce that sound. Houghton Horns has a wide selection of mouthpieces to choose from, including Giddings, Greg Black, Pickett, and many more. So if you're interested in trying out a new mouthpiece, Houghton Horns is the place to go. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am really, really excited to be speaking with Jamie Rogan, who is the music director and the drum artist for Billy Currington. Uh, a lot of my audience may not know who Billy Currington is. Uh, I do because there's been many phases of my life where I listen to country music a lot in the car. But I'd say Billy Currington is like one of the top country artists of the last like 10, 12 years, probably, right? That length of Prob time? Probably about right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's been around actually since I guess he broke about, uh, it was probably 2001, 2002. So, yeah, know, even last, longer than that. Yeah. Last 12 to, to 20 years, kind of been in the game. And, he, and of course, uh, before you even break, you're in town, you know, beating the streets, uh, you know, seeing what's going on, meeting people, trying to network for years before. So, like an overnight success i don't know if that's even a real thing but you know people yeah. are, people are you don't even know what people are doing in the years before you they finally make it but yeah man so i'm excited to get some insight from you about what it looks like to be you know we know what a music director of an orchestra looks like you know but i'm kind of curious to use that same term but to apply it to something like billy currington right. and a group like that what changes about the job description what things are similar and then any insight you have on what it looks like to pursue a career path like this and, and i mean i wasn't even thinking about this but just insight on what it looks like to for someone like billy or any of us who are you know the length of time it can take to uh, have some of these things come true so i'm looking forward to your insight and i really appreciate you giving me your time this morning it's great to to see you bright and early <laughs> Oh yeah, man. It's great to be here. And yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. This is, it's a lot of fun. And it's always good to talk about just music and life and just to, uh, and talk with fellow musicians that are, uh, you know, um, that just want to have the conversations about it, about anything that's going on. So uh, yeah, I kind of, I'm up for, I'm up for wherever we go. Let's go there. Let's awesome. chase the rabbits and see what <laughs> happens, man. So that sounds great. Yeah. So yeah. We'll start with, as always, uh, just to help us kind of get grounded in where you come from and some of your path and sort of getting a sense of um, 
how you got to where you are, just starting from wherever you feel like is relevant. We don't have to go all the way back to your birth if you don't feel like that that's relevant, but just to sure. give us a sense and an idea of when you uh, got into music, what that looked like, uh, and then how you sort of progressed, if there's any interesting stories about, you know, I didn't take it seriously and then this event happened and I took it seriously or anything like that. And then sort of how you went through, because I know, again, I know that you have sort of a non-linear path to where you're at right now. So I'm interested in sort of exploring what that looks like. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool. And also, you know, if you yeah, if you're wanting to explore some area, just stop me or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, uh, and I feel like everybody. There's, I feel like a lot of times in life, there's no real formula. It's more like we could all, you know, ten or twenty people, we could all do the same things, but we might just because we're different people and we have, might have different, uh, you know, eventual motivations and interests. You know, that we can all end up in different places and stuff like that. So I feel like. Uh, yeah, so my path, you know, and, and I, I'll, I'll kind of give people my story sometimes and I'm like, and, and I stole from what other people were doing and tried to apply that to what I was, to my life, you know, and, and to my road and to my choices. So, and then hopefully, I mean, hopefully stealing, hopefully good things and good ideas and good <laughs> things that it, meaning is stealing in a good way, like absorbing, Hey, that's a good quality that I want to embody and embrace and become part of me, you know, or whatever. And so those are things that you learn along the way. But like, so I, I just knew that music was for me very early on in some capacity. I knew that even as like elementary school, I'm the middle child. So my older brother, about four years older, younger sister, four years younger. I was, and uh, so we we're all into music. And basically uh, we had the record players, we had the old cassette players, the little uh, cigar box looking um, rectangular cassette players. So we would just play and record music off the radio all day long and listen to those and, you know, have to get batteries because we'd take them outside with us. But music was definitely part of our life and, and, and supported. So we all had to take piano lessons in elementary school before we could take drum lessons. We all took before, so I was like on the path to being, you know, go, I knew I wanted to be in the band in sixth grade when you could join the band. But to do that, you know, my parents were like, you got to have piano. So for three years before that, I took piano. So I guess second, third, you know, whatever, third, fourth, fifth, fifth grade was taking piano lessons. And that's what my older brother was doing as well. And my sister, because uh, we were all kind of drummers but um uh at heart but we played piano and then uh my brother ended up playing clarinet a little bit in school and he played drums in high school and they went on to play in college a little bit uh they all went to we all went to auburn and so they played in the drum line there but uh, kind of dropped drums after that but for me it just the bug was super early and i knew that and and i was an mtv kid and um so even around middle school um you started to see to see people performing in a way that you just didn't have access to before you didn't see videos you didn't have youtube and so you were seeing you're being influenced by uh um all these all these players all these musicians all these styles all these things that you're hearing on the radio and you're putting faces to songs and and just bands to say oh that's cool and you know check these guys out so and of course there was a whole visual aspect and and videos are what they are, but they were fun. And for me, that was like, like the older generation from older than me would be like Ringo. I saw Ringo on the Ed Sullivan show with the Beatles. And that was my impetus for 
for diving into music or buying the drum set, the first drum set for, but, uh, you know, for me, I was a little, you know, not a little younger than that. So Ringo wasn't what I, you know, what drew me in, but other things drew me in and MTV, you know, even before MTV though, that was probably middle school, I guess, you know, and sitting around playing on, uh, pillows on the floor and then, um, <laughs> Just whatever, you know, it was like, it wasn't necessarily the pots and pans, but it was, you'd sit there and stare at the TV and, and set up the, set up the, the drum, the pillow drum set, you know, or, you know, and then, uh, had other friends that were, that were into music and they were like, you know, we we're into Rush and Van Halen and all this stuff. And so music was prevalent and we all got in those Columbia house buy time, buy eight records for a penny. And over the next year you got to buy whatever those were big things back then is like so I, I, I don't even that? know what that is <laughs> so like rca which is we know as a record label but also rca had um and columbia house is what they had like they sold records they sold vinyl you know like like i do know what a record is that's for sure i just the, the deal you're talking about i have it i'm not familiar with this was back in 70s had to be early 80s too so You'd buy eight, eight or nine, ridiculous, like nine records for a penny. And over the next year, I've got to buy like five records at full price, which is probably overpriced, but you know, still like yeah. 15, 20 bucks or something like that. So, uh, so it was, uh, and when you're a kid, not really thinking about fulfill it, you know, you're, hopefully you'll fulfill it, but your parents end up helping you fulfill the rest of that year or you get, you know, you get in trouble for, because, you know, I probably didn't have the money, but, uh, but that for, a, I had the penny. So, you know, <laughs> I had that. I had the yeah, penny. I'm, cu yeah. I'm curious too. Sorry to interject here. I'm curious because one of the, I think a common sort of, it's like probably a running joke would be the best way to say it is, this idea that a child wants to become a drummer and the parents are like, oh no, there's going to make so much noise and all this kind of stuff. And you're talking about then like parents are going to have to pay for this kind of thing. Uh, I'm just curious because it's true for me that the support my parents gave me is like one of, if not the biggest reason on the, you know, from our perspective, why I would be successful. I'm kind of curious if you felt like, especially playing something like drums that can make so much noise, if you felt like your parents were always like, this is it, we whatever he wants, or if it was like, this makes a lot of noise, but we're going to tolerate it until, you know, he seems to dig it. Right, right. Uh, no, I, I'm very fortunate in, my, in that my parents were very supportive and very uh, all about music. Like basically, my, well, my mom was in church choir and she played some piano and uh, a little bit. She took piano lessons as well. And then my dad just is a big music lover. He just enjoys. So that anytime music was on TV, they would call us in the room or something cool or something drummy cool or just you know a, a percussion ensemble or a drum section of a something you know hey come in here and watch this you know that and that's that was like so they've always been supportive and uh, i mean that's not to say they don't think drums are loud they know drums are loud and <laughs> like uh yeah they're gonna have to tolerate it, but they made the choice to tolerate it and to to buy us drums and to buy us instruments and to, to support the habit and to before we had cars to let us pack in we would you know i'd pack my drums in their car and we would go to somebody's house so i could set up and and jam with somebody in their basement you know before i was 
old enough to do it myself, you know, at 16 or whatever. So uh, now I'm, I'm so grateful. And, you know, uh, my parents are still in Birmingham area. So they've always, they've been there forever. And uh, so, yeah, I'm glad that they were supportive and, and allowed me, allowed us all to have the drums, but they, they were, they, they, and they didn't know to what level things can happen in music. They weren't involved in the music industry or whatever, so they were supportive. But they also wanted, uh, like, foundation and and security for my future and for me to make choices to to make that happen as well, and to not um, to not just go crazy and join a rock band and jump in a van and you know so. <laughs> which I which I did that too. That's but that's part of the journey. But yeah. it's not. You know, there's also other ways, to, you know, to get there. So they just kind of didn't know, and I didn't know either. I don't, I didn't know the path. And again, like that path is fraught with difficulty, man. You know, making it in the music industry, you know, all these steps you can take, and it's all these choices that a lot of them aren't even related to playing your instrument. You know, but a lot of them are. But you know, you want to yeah, yeah. So and just listening to as much as music as you can. I remember trying to just being exposed as much as I could as an, as an early age, you know, just cause you wanted to, what's the drummer doing? What is the drummer feeling? What does this feel like to play this beat? You know? And a lot of it was a lot of my, my growing up was rock and roll driven, but I remember my dad had a, they weren't huge like jazz heads or, or anything specifically, but he happened to have, um, Take five, you know the Dave Brubeck sure. uh, quartet, and which is what a, an amazing album by any standards. But it's uh, but that was great because he wanted me to hear Take Five, you know, and then that hear that amazing drum solo and that whole that whole that whole thing, man, is just a. So I remember him playing that for me for that in an early age, and that's a such a good. And and I don't even I love jazz. I don't play a lot of jazz, but. Uh, but to me, I just remember that and thinking, wow, that's some, that's intense. And I probably didn't say heavy, but it was some heavy music, you know, sure. to, to get into at the time. I probably thought of it as whatever, but, uh, but, but it was. And so, you know, so that was cool. You know, I don't know. We did like we all did marching band, some, uh, the band in middle school. We went to Gresham and Birmingham. We went to Shades Valley and uh, went to uh, uh, did the marching band and did the concert band and stuff like that and. Uh, there was jazz band uh, with, with Jim Blair at um, Gresham, and then Jim Siegel was at uh, Shades Valley, and so I mean, so we all just tried to soak up as much music as we could playing in those bands. And then when I was sixteen, you know, old enough to drive around and throw my drums in my car and go jam, or, or you know, take it to other people, you know, go to somebody's garage or go to go to somebody's warehouse that they had a a rehearsal space or something, you know how you do. It's yeah, just yeah. Making it happen. Um, so, and all the while, like, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, all the while, I'm still trying to stay on the school path as well because at that point, I think in late high school, I didn't really know that I wanted to, you, you like read Modern Drummer Magazine and you see these other, you know, musician magazines and stuff and you don't, but I really didn't have anybody to say, to call up and say, hey, what's the deal? Like, how do you really, how do you break in? How do you make it? How does things happen? How do things unfold? What do you, you know, you read about things and you read read stories and you read like, uh, 
how to how to hang, how to be, you know. Uh, yeah. The, there's a there's a great book by a drummer named Zaro called The Big Gig, and it addresses a lot of these like what I call X factor variables. They might be things like some things we can control, like you know, uh, some things we can't. But they're all variables that are involved in getting us to where we want to be, to where we are, and to where we want to be. It's and that's like, what's our work ethic? What's our what do we look like? What do we, you know, do we show up early, late, on time? You know, what's our, uh, like a lot, some of those things are under our control. Can we be prepared for the gig? You know, can I do all this homework? Am I willing to to sacrifice my time and make sure that I'm show, show up early, over-prepared every time so that I'm ready? You know what I mean? It, yeah. Or, or again, do we make, you know, and all those come down to, like, like just choices that that we want to make when we want to apply ourselves to what we're doing in our life. You know. Yeah, so, I think this is a it really for me actually a pretty important conversation because I've struggled with this in my past, right? I've struggled with like, why should I care about all of that, right? Like showing up over prepared, like being a nice person, not just for the sake of doing it, or like tr because t to me, like getting more gigs or whatever. Like I played well enough that I feel like I didn't have to internalize some of that stuff. But what I'm realizing is like, it's not only for other people. It's not only so other people can perceive you that way, but it's also so you perceive yourself as someone who takes it that seriously. And that's like the part I was missing for a really long time was it's about like, do I see myself as someone who works like this? Not like, am I doing it for others, but be for myself? Right, because it is a... It's a great deal of work, as we all know, as in, you know, with any profession and, and trying to achieve mastery, you know, and trying to climb that ladder and just to pursue it to all ends. And music's a deep well. And so it's like, yeah, we, we have to uh, kind of keep showing up and, and, and doing that and applying that basically all, basically all the time. So, so no, nah, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. Um, so, um, and, um, uh, I was going to say, and I know I'm probably kind of rambling some in my storytelling, so you can, Dude, like this is great. You can corral me. Uh, this or, is what a podcast is, man. <laughs> I know. I love it. It is like, where were we? What was the question? Uh, <laughs> nah. Uh, but yeah, I love it too, man. It's good to always like have these, have these talks and stuff. Um, but yeah, so to me, like, uh, I don't know, playing music was always, was always a thing. So, and, and then, uh, I went to Auburn and got, um, music degree from there, music ed degree. And at Auburn, I kind of, um, I started to, uh, like I said, I'd always been playing, but I kind of, I really didn't know what, what good was, you know what I mean? So yeah. like worldly, like, oh, 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 that's man, that, now that dude can play, you know, or whatever. And so college definitely opened up some of that. And I remember going to, uh, during the summer, I remember going one summer, off from college, went going out to like a, a couple of week drum camp out at North Texas, where I knew that they were studying a lot of great drum materials that I wanted to know what are, what are they getting into? What's, what are, what are the drum set schools, you know, that are ahead of the game? Who's, what are they doing? What materials are they using? And, you know, so I want, so I got materials like from Steve Houghton and Ed Sof and, uh, Guy Romanco. And, uh, there was all these, uh, 
And it was, of course, everybody out there was trying to seek that higher thing. And so I went in the bookstore out there too and was like, if I was a student here, what's the books that the drummers are using? So I bought a couple of drum books, you know, so I wanted to, I just felt like you got to feel yourself and know where you know the history of where you're coming from, but also know a wide variety of uh, techniques and applications. And it just, it became fun. I mean, it's super fun anyway. I don't know. It's a like, and as musicians, I was going to say a minute ago, like as weird and crazy as this ha last year has been with the pandemic, a lot of musicians, we, we do self-imposed isolation because we choose to go sit in a practice room for hours right. on end. I mean, and I know that I can open my door and come out, you know, back then and I'm not going to breathe COVID or whatever. But, you know, nowadays we have that. But, but I mean, yeah, we sit around and we practice. We have to get away, you know, or I might, you might go to your music room. I go to my music room and, man, I got to work some stuff out. So I'm away from things. I'm... You know, I'm not trying to play for anybody. I'm playing for myself and I want it, like you're saying, and I want it to be good because I want to present the best that I can and I want to get a call back and I want to nurture a relationship or a musical friendship with somebody. So you do those things, you know, and so that's why I practice. Even some things I practice that I feel like Maybe I'm not even using on gigs, but I know that I feel like somehow it's growing me in a certain way. I, mm -hmm. I like to, I enjoy practice. And so I feel like uh, there's always, a, there's always growth to be achieved, you know, of course, but uh, it's, it's endless. But, um, you know, I feel like I can maybe just bolster this or this feel. Maybe I just don't feel as strongly as I should on it. You know, I'm going to work this. I'm going to kind of, uh, I like, uh, I forget who used to, maybe Mike Mangini, one of these guys, but he used the analogy of ironing out the wrinkles. So like, okay, if you're playing and I feel like, uh, that sounds good, but it's kind of, man, it's a little, maybe it's messy or whatever it is, but you know, you want to slow it down, take the microscope out, expose it cleanly, iron out the wrinkles so that all that little, un, you know, confusion and chaos kind of cleans up. Yeah. And, and some, and that's a humbling thing. But when you're in your drum, in a drum room or music room or whatever, yeah, you're not having those walls of pride. Or I'm not trying to play with guys and not and not mess up or not suck. You know, it's more just hey, I kind of do want to suck a little bit in the practice room because I want to break it down. I want to expose that thing that maybe I'm avoiding or my. Maybe it's more glaring than I realize, or just some kind of weakness that if I'm even aware, if I'm aware of it, or if I have an instructor that's making me aware of an issue, really expose that and bring it to light more. And I mean, I'm sure that's not, uh, you know, uh, uncommon for everyone. You know, as far as how we approach things, our problems well, in our in music. <laughs> you d you don't know that you did this, but you just walked into like a conversation with me because this is like I, uh -huh. I I like live in this space of like. You used a few words that I'm interested in diving into. The first one was you said the word enjoyable. The second one is you said that there's always growth to be had. And then the third one, the third thing you said was 
I want to suck a little bit. And I want to touch on all three of these things because one by one, because, or maybe it's like sort of the first two are related. I'm curious. First question is, do you feel like your practice is enjoyable because of that mindset that there's always growth to be had? So it's like an exploratory search rather than like sort of a grind. Do you feel like, or do you feel it's enjoyable for a different reason that you could put words to? No, uh, I, I kind of feel like, like you're right on the money there. Uh, I do, I find it's enjoyable, one, because I still love sitting down at the drums kind of like I did back in seventh grade, you know, and I, and I hope to always retain that. And that's something I str- uh, want to make sure because sometimes, even though I say, oh, I'll never take a break, you know, but sometimes you got to take a break. And so you take a break for a minute, whether that minute is a week or a two weeks or, you know, Christmas break sometimes gets a little long and then you don't, you know, maybe right after, you know, Christmas to after New Year's, you're not playing for a couple of, you know, or something or whatever. Sometimes those breaks are good. You know, yeah. I think they, uh, they allow other things to get in your your psyche and your consciousness and to influence the way influence your growth and maturity in a way that might be uh it not that you're plateaued in playing or play, uh, or or stymied or run into a rut but uh but maybe just some freshness input it's more input you know and more whether that's social input or being around people or whatever it is you know to me those things all all throw in the the melting pot of what me and then getting in the practice room. and one thing too about when I get on the gig, I want to be able to uh, apply that and like, I want to have fun on the gig. Yeah. That's like play. the goal, right? Like the point is actually yeah. to develop the skills to a degree that like, we don't have to think so deeply about what we're doing so that we can enjoy just doing it. You're enjoy doing it. All the work, it's like playing. People a lot of times saying, well, the work was loading in. The playing is free, you know, or whatever. But mm. uh, because we love what we're doing, you know, and it's like the playing should be that enjoyable or so, or that, um, man, this is so fun, you know, or whatever. But that's because we've done the homework so that some of the fear factor has gone away. Some of the, which is, there's always a little bit of that, uh, uh, anxiousness or something but i think that's a good supplier of like energy or something you know i don't think like yeah not not outright like nervousness you know but uh, you have all those things and you've but you've kind of worked those things out because if you show up you've spent the time in the practice room preparing you've you know the material in your head whether you're reading whether you memorized it either way whatever you've you've done this you can go in with that certain level of confidence that i mean unless there's a catastrophe how could this how can this go badly? Yeah. I mean, I, I've prepared for success and to have fun, you know? Yeah, so I'm going to get a little bit deep. And I, I do remember my second question, so I, I don't want to forget that we Good. have that yeah, because yeah. it's basically both of these things are related uh, and it has to do with the idea of flow state. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, this terminology. It's like this Goldilocks, it's not too easy, it's not too hard. And right in that zone is like where enjoyment of the activity happens because like we're a con- we're like we have to struggle but like we can we can actually succeed versus right. if it's too easy we're just not engaged mentally because we're like whatever this is too easy and if it's too hard then we're like this is so frustrating i'm gonna fail all the time this is my question about like i want to suck a little bit but before we get there i feel like another thing that you said was so interesting to me because performance should be enjoyable but for a lot of us it's not enjoyable it's very stressful and my 
what I've tried to sort of peel apart, and I'm curious for your thoughts, are sometimes my least enjoyable performances are ones where like, I think I've made it about how well I'm performing. Not like that I am just performing and enjoying it, but like sort of gauging how I'm doing. If I feel like I'm doing as good as I could be doing, or if I'm, you know, I'm basically thinking about the performance rather than if that makes sense, like how I feel about how I'm performing rather than just performing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I I think it, it does, yeah. Um, and it's like, and it's also maybe in the realm of, so when I'm performing and, uh, yeah, am I overly focused on myself or my contribution maybe to the music or to the ensemble or or am I trying to see the bigger picture or maybe and and be... And be the group player. We're, of course, we're in the group because we're there. But, but just meaning having the mentality and the mindset of, of being the group player and like getting out of my own space. But, but okay, I'm in everybody's space now. I'm putting the umbrella on the whole thing because that's where I am, not just over myself. Because you know, or making it bigger than me or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And some of my struggle then has been that, like, even if I want that, even if I want that, I, I have been yeah. in situations where you have outside influences that aren't that, right? The outside influences can be like sort of, well, if other people are, are struggling or they're just not interested in sort of the big picture, they're more interested in their version of it, something like it starts to seep into your consciousness as like this is what's important and i'm kind of curious if like you've ever experienced like something like that where you kind of got into po a possible rut because you were so focused on you and then maybe you came out of it and now you have a renewed sense of like i actually can enjoy this as long as i'm just enjoying the task and not so much how i'm doing doing it does that make sense right yeah yeah um yeah and i guess uh well, because I know, uh, like, so you play, um, and a lot of shows, if I'm, when, uh, Billy, we didn't play a lot this past year, but in years past, when you're playing shows, you're playing the show, same, you know, same songs, essentially, night after night. We might alter the set list some here and there, but a lot of times we'd play that set list, which is, uh, which is what it was and it's great. And that's what a lot of acts do. And it's, um, so, but to play those songs every night, and to keep them fresh was a mm. challenge in itself and to avoid getting in a rut and to avoid just kind of like, ah, I'm bored because I've played this song so many times and we played it at sound check. And, but I want to play it like, like it's the freshest thing ever. And for some of these listeners, that's their, is it their first time hearing this? Is it their first time seeing us live? Is it their first, you know, it's like what kind of impression I want to make the impression on that person. You know, that's my goal is to make them make them feel it and and to basically have the have the energy i don't know there's kind of like that thing you almost have to dig it up out of yourself to um to leave as hard as it is sometimes some baggage even though that baggage can be huge with what's going on in our lives you know i have to leave that at the side of the stage sometimes or whatever uh and like boom when i'm i'm like i'm i'm clocking in on stage boom I'm, i gotta be here I, whatever happens this is here i'll see you in 75 minutes i'll see you yeah. in 90 minutes or 60 minutes or however long the show is you know so uh so there's those things that's almost like gut check 
I got to make it through this. Although I just got, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say uh, just uh, what a, what a scenario might be, but you know, if, if you just, you're not feeling good, you're sick or this or that, and you try to just really buck up for that one, for that show, you know, for sound check. And then, okay. Uh, now I got to do the show. I got to make it through the show and other time, you know what? But, um, so I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, I try to, I try to have me at the, at, at my highest level, whatever, hopefully that can be. And then I feel like the guys that I've surrounded myself with in Billy's band, that we all, we all have that same mindset of bringing, of all being prepared and ready to go to a certain level and bringing a certain attitude and also gaining each other's trust and knowing and me knowing he's fully into this. He's fully into this. I'm fully into this. We can all trust and lean on each other and know that uh, I can know that each one is giving their best, you know, and, yeah. gonna, and is going to be able to mentally make that choice to game face on here we are, you know, we're, we're, we're in this together, you know? So I know that a lot of times that helps coming into a group or just sitting in or subbing in with maybe people you don't know is a little different because you want to have that trust and that depth of relationship, but it just can't be there because it's not there yet, you know, right, or whatever. Right. But, but with people, you know, and trust or people you play with on a more regular basis, you can, uh, you know, until everybody kind of cracks that first smile or is like, everybody, we're cool. Everybody's good. You know, you want to yeah. make sure, you know, then the ice is broken or you play some notes together, you know, just then it becomes, okay, all right, we're good. You know, nobody's, we're all in the same boat, you know, yeah, no, the same I, team. You know. I think it's a cool perspective. Um, and that's part of the thing too, is like just relationship and trust, like being such an important part of, life in general but you know effective music making you know like I, I'm not think I don't think you necessarily have to be best friends with every single person that you work with right but the idea no, that no. you trust this person and that you're all on the same page about what you're trying to accomplish I think is not again it's actually not even completely necessary for to people to be able to play together but I, or if we're talking about trying to get to the highest levels of music making I think it's something that does affect some of the top groups that really perform at a high level is they like, they understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish and they're all on the same page. Yeah, they do. And there's a group. Uh, yeah. There's maybe a group vision and, uh, but no, it doesn't. Yeah. That, and all that to say that, no, not, not everyone gets along and not everybody enjoys <laughs> who they're playing with. And sometimes you're just, sometimes you're, you're, you need the gig and I'm like, all right. I mean, and then you'll play with people will yeah. play with whoever they'll play with because of, because of other choices. But, uh, no, I mean, look at, look at Oasis, look at, uh, black crows. I think some of those guys were infamous for those were brothers, both brother sets that had, you know, arguments and infighting, but it definitely exists. I mean, how many times, you know, break joke about band breakups and sure. You know, that's creative like a, differences. Isn't that what it always is? Creative differences. Yeah. Is that like a reconcilable? Yeah. Or something like that. And it's like a divorce when a band breaks up. Creative sure, differences. Sure. The singer's got to make a solo album. So he's just going to use different players and, and then everybody gets mad. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. But, I mean, so to circle back around, because um, I don't want to forget, 
what this other question was. Uh, you right, said in your practice, this is the third one, and I promise, and I'll let you keep going along with Not your career. Not at all, man. I'll, I'm, we're good. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, you said when I'm practicing, like I want to. I want to suck a, just a little bit, right? To me, sure. what you just yeah. said there is basically like, I want, like in like really technical terms, you said, I want to manage the skill or the, the difficulty of the task relative to the skill that I have and try to make sure that it's within a certain level of parameters so that I'm challenged, but I'm not failing. Because I think what a very common way of approaching practicing is I'm going to just do stuff that's way too hard for me. And then someday down the road, I'm going to be able to do it. And I don't think that that line is as straight as people think it is. Oh, no, you're definitely right about that. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully they get some wisdom in their life or just some some good advice to, to help them um, to be real about it or to, to like take those things and to see that as maybe, okay, that's the a macro goal. Let's make some micro goals as steps to get to this goal sure. because this is one big step that that's, uh, you know, and maybe one doesn't choose to word the, use the word impossible with anyone because I wouldn't say that, but you know what I mean? And I don't ever discourage someone. But uh, if somebody was like that and wanted to, like some even drum students that I have, uh, I enjoy teaching and so I have a lot of private students and, um, but some of them are wanting to learn some songs right off the bat that, that I know instantly, okay, that's out of our ballpark right now. And, and we can, but we can begin to understand the basic framework and the, and the seeds f f f you know, from which this came. And then, so let's explore those seeds and get that basis solid. And then, you're going to find yourself and, and they don't necessarily care or get all that, but they will practice the stuff slower, but you know, they don't get into the conceptual as much or whatever. Think about it. But uh, some of them do maybe, uh, but you know, it's like you have to, you have to break that stuff down, but it, it, you have to do that as a teacher. Oftentimes a young kid, he's not going to, some kids will have the discipline to do that, but a lot of them just won't, you know, or adults right. too. We're going to rush through it or we're going to, you know, it's like, no, you have to, long game you have to think of this as a, a foundation you know building yeah. foundation but also coming from a smart place you know if you have bad bad instruction then oh man how do you how do you even know that you're getting bad instructions because you've not had any instruction so i mean you hope that you just hope there's good teachers and good people uh pouring into the right places but yeah uh, i like the way you said that too the the way to sort of, if I'm hearing you correctly, this idea of like, we have this particular goal and if it's slightly out of reach, then the ability to effectively make progress is how well you can then deconstruct the elements of what that thing is so you can possibly work on improving the elements themselves until you improve to a place where maybe your skills now meet the challenge of that original goal. And then you can apply those learned skills to that particular song or whatever it ends up being. Did I, is that hear you correctly? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because it is, it's, it's, it's building blocks and vocabulary. And a lot of times they'll be hearing a song and that's just vocabulary that that's the deep end. And they're not, and they're not used to using I, I, those words. I like to, I often metaphor vocabulary and, and music language with just language in general, because it, it is language, but it's like, 
they're not ready to use those big words yet, you know, but I'm a sh- I'll show them and I'll, I'll show them and try to bring them to those places of using those words in the appropriate musical environment, in the, in the, in the appropriate sentence, you know, sure. or whatever. How do they go? So, but they, but of course you always want to be in a rush, but yeah, a lot of times it is building blocks, but, but I think, but about the, and, um, and I don't want to say like people should beat themselves down and say they suck, but like in terms of using that as like when I get in the practice room to work on something to to be legit about it and real about it and to really get anything real done, I've got to be honest to the point of okay, yeah, that's a weakness. That's something that's let let me just bring that out into the light here, you know. And why would we not be real with ourselves? I can bring that because we're as you know, all the metaphors, you know, we're as strong as our weakest link. So I can make my weakest link, whatever that is, uh, whatever part of my playing or branch of technique or this or that, that like, man, I've always known that that's never felt super comfortable with that. Why don't I just take a, why don't I break that down for like, the next month, you know, dive into why that's, why that's an issue, you know, or something like that. And, and sometimes I have time to do that. And sometimes I don't, it just depends, you know, but like, those are things that I try to find myself, um, exploring. And also so that I can apply some of those same techniques to helping students, you know, and some student, every student's different. I feel like uh, I have about 10, 10 private students and those, mostly drum set, but a lot of them are school kids playing in school band and orchestra, stuff like that, you know, so, uh, doing the, doing that route. Uh, and then, uh, maybe an adult or two. Uh, but there, I, there's no blanket I can just throw that covers every single one of those students. You know, it's sure. like, well, and, and there shouldn't be, you know, it's like, man, cause they all have different motivations, different goals. They're not all trying to be in the marching drum line, you know, maybe a couple of them are, but, not all of them. Some of them just want to play drum set at church and worship, you know, you know, worship band. Some of them just want to play songs and at their house and learn eighties rock songs because they have fun doing that. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, then I want to empower and enable you in a smart way where I'm teaching you correctly and properly. But, but I see that we're, we're, you're not trying to learn like the language that an eighth grader is trying to learn to make all state honor band, you know, or something like that. So those are two, uh, while they're both drumming and they're both, you know, it's like, okay, those are different goals. So I want to, and we can achieve both those goals, but I'm going to help you go this way and I'm going to help you go this way. And that's going to be different things. And so that's just some of those things will intersect and intertwine and be like a Venn diagram, but other things are just going to be in their own area. You know what I mean? So it's just, like, yeah. Uh, no, man, that's it's great. so cool. It's, it's so cool mm-hmm. to me because, um, I mean, it's a little bit of confirmation bias, I guess. But with drums and, and percussion, I feel like there's such a wide variety of applications uh, versus the trumpet, which we have a lot of applications, but maybe not quite as wide. And so like this sort of methodology that I've developed to help make sure we're efficient and effective in the practice room, the very first principle or pillar is that it's goal-oriented because the goal will dictate what work we do. Like if you, like we have access, everyone could do exactly the same exercises, but depending on what your goal is, you might approach the exercises slightly differently. So one, like a C major scale, for example, in my opinion, if you're doing like, 
something with, I mean, percussion would be a very easy example, right? Like, but you, but your goal is to like become proficient on the xylophone or the marimba or like whatever, right? Like you're going to practice on that instrument because that's your particular goal. That's a very obvious answer or, or example, but I like the way you're talking about this, that like, we have to know what the goal is first before we start discussing what we might do to achieve the goal. And I think that gets lost sometimes in like the busyness of like just doing. It, it, it does. Yeah. And, uh, and like if I'm, and if I'm teaching at a, like a high school and you know, you got a really rock and drum line and percussion ensemble and, and there's, there's 30 kids in your percussion program and they all like 25 of them want to go to, they're going to college bound. You know what I mean? You'd have like a, so you'd start to really try to enable those kids to really start diving into some things early to where they might be, you know, leading them to have success in that, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, see, and then you might have a more group thing, but I feel like when, as I'm teaching privately, I'm finding that it's just all over the map. It's just where it's not necessarily affiliated with one particular school. It's just, uh, you know, Right now, a lot of virtual, a uh, couple of in-person, but basically I'm te- you know, teaching virtual at home like everybody else is. Yeah, but, yeah, right. But I find that, okay, all right, we're still all playing singles and doubles. We're still all learning paradiddles and we're learning double stroke roll, but, the, you know, and, but, but then we dive deeper into rudiment language with some. We're just diving into like, okay, now we're going to play some, some a go-go song from the 80s, you know, and now, you know, and then, but this kid, we need to dive in on like a, uh, semi-serious concert piece for percussion, you know? And so, uh, I don't know, but that's fun though. That's the beauty of it. There is percussion does find itself in so many situations, just as, uh, like you say, maybe trumpet has, has some genres where it's more widely used and then it's not in others, but you find drums across the board and percussion, Kind of in so many in everywhere, you know. Yeah, uh, we hear it on jingles. We hear it on advertisements. We hear it on TV. We hear it on, and you know, of course, drums. But then percussion is in addition to what we hear, and and with orchestras and stuff. And I don't know, you know. So, uh, but to me, drums has always just had a little special draw. Like you know, everyone's drawn to probably their instrument and has that story of why that is. You know. Yeah. What. And it's just internal things or whatever. I don't know what it is, I, you know, but. Yeah, man. Why, why do we love what we love? Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of curious to, I know that was a tangent and that was my fault. I'm kind of oh. curious to um, get into like the way your career transformed, I guess would be the way from from what you talked about with teaching in schools to then having this job. Um I mean, you can spend as much time doing it as you want, but I'm just kind of curious about how that, you sharing how that path laid out or how that path opened up for you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was a band director after I went to Auburn, got a music ed degree, and um, I was playing in a bunch of bands there and playing in all the ensembles, orchestra, jazz band, you know, everything I could trying to soak it up, be the, be the sponge and just get into everything I could musically. And then so I moved back to Birmingham and I was a band director for a year or two. Then I worked at a music hall, lived on a South side, like lived on a pallet on the floor in this little place with some other musicians. We were in a band and we did some <laughs> traveling. And then I got back into teaching for about two more years. 
And then I moved to Nashville and this was like right at 2000. So about 98 or 99, I started kind of planning like, all right, I'm going to move to Nashville. I'm still in my twenties. I'm, I, want, I need to do this. I don't want to have a what if moment later in life. I want to, uh, or any, uh, you know, just, uh, 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 regrets or anything later in life. So, uh, so I started, I started playing in some country bands in Birmingham, like in 98, 99, just to start learning the repertoire, just learning country feels, styles, country, uh, you know, things related to country songs and just learning. Cause I really, I'd grown up on classic rock and some blues and jazz and stuff, but mainly, you know, that kind of stuff. But so I, I knew maybe some super popular country songs, but I really didn't know it, even though I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, but you know, it still didn't, I just didn't know a ton of country songs. So I had to learn it. And, and so uh, that was a little bit of my preparation. And I, uh, there's this magazine I mentioned called modern drummer. And so in the back of the magazine, there used to be ads with dudes names in it. And, there was this one guy named George Lawrence and I called him up to study with him to have a lesson or two. He was a Nashville guy and on the, in the scene there. And I was kind of going to get him to evaluate my playing and give me like thumbs up or thumbs, you know, like <laughs> forget it kid, you know, but, uh, but he was super encouraging and just, uh, I ended up studying with him for a year or two after that. And, uh, he's, uh, he's since moved to Memphis, but he's an uh, amazing player, teacher. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so he helped me to a lot of cool things and just like things that he just opened up my playing and my playing just began to, uh, be open to new things. Uh, The Nashville pool was deep. And so I would go out and see these guys play. And, uh, like, I was like, okay, I got some, definitely I got some practicing to do and as you know, still today, but, uh, but back then for sure, I was like, okay, got man, seeing some great players and seeing some amazing players and then seeing some just okay player. I was like, all right, every, there's a lot of variety here, but at the end of the day, everybody's really good. So I want to get good. And why are they good? What's, what is it that makes them good? What are the qualities, you know, so started to pursue those things. Cause you think you're going to take the town by storm. Cause, <laughs> cause I, you know, whatever, you know, big fish, small pond, or sort of, you know, you just think I got this. I'm, they'll be calling me, breaking down my door, but it, it's not that way. And I, would, I was walking around handing out my little CD demo. I'd go into studios and hand them my demo that I'd made of me playing on different songs and tracks. And, you know, as soon as I would leave, I'm sure they probably hit the trash can with it, you know, but yeah, uh, it's like, but a couple of those did call me. A couple of them did like, I did get a call and ended up working jingles for a long time and doing ads and doing, uh, you know, playing bumpers on TV shows. And so that was kind of cool. So a couple things opened up, but again, I had to be willing to beat the bushes and I had to be willing to, uh, like it was probably, it was new years of January, uh, January of 2000. When I first started physically, like I'm, I'm here, I was sleeping on my sister's, uh, spare bedroom. And, uh, so she and her husband, they lived in town. And so, uh, they just kind of let me crash there for a couple months. Still, I found some, some other musicians to kind of crash with. But, um, so, and it was just those first couple of times where he was going out alone at night. It's cold, it's freezing. You're trying to like meet people is a little bit like, uh, you're, you're questioning yourself. You, you have I done the right thing. You start to, you know, it's a mental game. It's that inner game that you want to win, that you want to 
uh, grow and have the confidence, but uh, I just didn't have a huge network when I moved here and I was just going for it as so many people do anyway. But like you still, when it's you, you're, you're thinking, ah, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? And you, anywhere you go, like people are, I found people to be very friendly and helpful in terms of, Hey, go here, hear this band on Wednesday nights. They are killing here. Go here on Tuesdays. There's a jam session, you know, meet this guy named blah, blah. He's, you know, and also just some, uh, there was a thing called a drummer lunch, which was, was, you know, like every Wednesday, this was every Wednesday. Now it's every month, but it hasn't been for the past year because of COVID. But so that's where like a group of drummers would get together at this, uh, at this Kroger, this particular Kroger in Green Hills area of Nashville was nice and had a, uh, had a big salad bar and a food area. So you could go eat food and hang out and we'd, we could even eat sushi or whatever. So it was, so we'd go get sushi and salads and sit and there might be five drummers, might be 20 drummers there. Uh, and might be dudes like me who had just moved here yesterday, or it might be guys like there was the drummer for the Dixie chicks drummer for Charlie Daniels band, uh, percussionist who played with, uh, Engelbert Hupperd Inc. And, you know, just like, wow. All, all manner of people in between. And like, so, so for those new guys, it's like, oh, just show up and show up and shut up, show up and be all yeah, ears. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you're going to learn real advice from guys that are really doing what you want to be doing. And that's who you want to hang out with is if you want to be doing something, go hang out with people that really actually do that. So, I mean, like that's what, so George Lawrence was influential in just kind of plugging me into this network of of this is how it goes and people, you know, so where you think it might be cutthroat and people, not everyone loves each other, but I mean, you know, but it's not super cutthroat where there's a ton of jerks or anything. It's mostly pretty cool, you know, so, uh, you know, people are people. So, you know, have some you like, some you don't, but, uh, you know, but you try to be, you try to be the best you can and hopefully that draws out the good in others, but you know, or you just hope other people are trying to be their best person too. And you are as well. So we all have bad days, but anyway, but, uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, like, um, so that drummer launch was pretty, pretty influential and in just meeting guys, hooking up with guys, kind of getting to know the score, like, and they would also talk about auditions too, or something like that. Or here's, Hey, there's this, this artist is looking for drummers. Uh, let's, you know, why don't you check them out? And not everybody needed a gig. So like, they're not all looking for the scrambling for the baby gigs. Like I was back then or whatever, just any gig, man, you show up and there's some terrible, uh, like <laughs> experiences and you don't know what you're getting into. And then there's other amazing ones that you're just like, how did I luck into this? And so it's like the gamut of, of yeah. opportunity, opportunity. But at the beginning you're saying yes, yes, yes to everything. You're saying yes to some free stuff, unless you're just totally plugged in right away. And I definitely wasn't. It was more just, you know, I had to, uh, you'd go out to these songwriter nights, songwriter rounds, and then you might go up. And if you liked one of the songwriters, go give them your card. Or nowadays you would just trade numbers. But back you know, in 2020 or 20, 2000, it was just, yeah, you'd go, uh, you'd still trade phone numbers or just give them an actual business card. That was the Nashville handshake. You trade a business yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gosh, so. this, this is really interesting. Sorry to sorry to stop you, but it's interesting to me as you're talking because I'm thinking about my trajectory in in the orchestral field and that that desire to pursue that uh, path for a long time. And you know what you're describing? There's just so many little tiny things that you could 
try to do that might yield 1% gain, right? But yes. like in our field, and, and at least in my experience, that doesn't right. seem to exist to the same degree. I mean, you put in a whole ton of effort, but it's then you either win the job or you don't. Like it all hinges on one moment and then you just got to like play the long game, like you said, and keep auditioning. I feel the same sort of exists for university positions. There's so many people that it's like, you're going to try to play all the concerts you can and you're going to try to do all these things to build up your portfolio and have all sorts of materials. And then you like, apply for the job and then you either get it or you don't but like what i what's interesting to me about what you're describing is that as you're doing this you don't really have any idea what the result will actually be like you're just trying to do something that might get your name and likeness into the hands of someone who might be interested in having your services be used and like whatever that is you're cool with that rather than i have decided the one thing that is what i have to have and you know what I mean? There may not be a path to that. Like if you were like, I want to be Toby Keith drummer. Well, there may not be a path to that particular job, but like Billy Currington is right next to it. And the path that you took was like, I'll just see how, if, does that make sense what I'm saying? I like that it's, you you weren't so concerned or with like the end goal because you just had no idea what was possible. You were just, I'm just going to show up and do my due diligence and all the small things and trust that it'll move me forward. It was a bit of that. It was more not necessarily having a specific artist that I want to work with, although we may all have like, uh, it'd be amazing to work with this people or that people, you know, because, uh, but because, you know, there are amazing artists that we all would love to work with. But for me, it was kind of like, for one, uh, one kind of generalized macro goal was like, uh, all right, I want to uh, be a freelance musician that is making my living playing music. I'm yeah, that's pretty broad. Doing, yeah. Not doing it's kind of broad. So and but do I do that? And that was before, you know, do am I gonna do that through sessions, through touring, through lessons, through what is that gonna what's that gonna look like? But I found that a lot of people I found that so many people in this town were doing just that. And like, oh, and it was more commonplace and not so you're doing what? You know, yeah. So whereas it might been and and uh, Birmingham's fertile music scene. So then there's tons of teachers and players. So, but like some, but but some other towns and places where music maybe isn't so prevalent. You know, it's like you can't, you maybe just can't make that living there. A lot of that's happening, and a lot of those people that helped me or gave me friendly advice, I would always try to pay that forward because as you get it more entrenched and established in town, people call you and would like, or people would call me and say, Hey, what's this? What's the skinny on Nashville? What's going on? You know, and ask me for advice or ask me for the club to go, you know, or where do you go here? Bands and music or where's the jam session? You know? So I would want to always pay those favors forward that people, whether they know it or not, helping me out or just little nudges of support or those kind of things. Those are, those to me are important because, uh, you know, not false encouragement, but basically just, you know, basically, hey, we're, you know, we're all in this. And uh, a lot of times, like you say, for the gig or for the audition, there's going to be five or 10 of us show up and we could all play the music. We can all play these four minute songs and we could all jump on the bus and physically execute these songs probably just fine, you know, or whatever. So, but then they're getting into, well, there's these 10 people that came here. So, all right. I like that guy looks really cool. Let's hear how he plays. Yeah, he feels then they can get particular about what looks, 
talking with people, you know, attitude, you know, uh, they can also get more nitpicky about pocket about, Oh, he, well, he played, man, it was good. He just played really little too on top for me. He was a little ahead. It was good and probably right on with the click, but he just felt like he's on, on top. It just didn't feel super in the pocket or relaxed. Oh, dude, that was fat and relaxed. That guy played so good, you know, or what are they looking for on that given day? What's this band looking for? So a lot of times you just show up and you get it or you don't get it and you don't beat yourself up about that audition. To me, I, I always loved getting auditions because it was a chance to to go through that process of pruning yourself and to getting these two songs, these four songs, three songs, whatever it is, pruning them and getting them in like as good a shape as you can so that you're, they see that you're ready to, sh you show up, you're ready to hit the stage. You're dressed appropriately for their gig. You're, you come in with a good attitude. You're not trouble. You're quick. You're Johnny on the spot. You're not noodling. You're, you know, you're, pro you're a professional, you know, but, but you'd be surprised at how many people show up and just make all these little missteps, which are these little steps that are, going to contribute to them getting a call or not getting a call, you know, right. or whatever they were like, did I show up and maybe I showed up in sweatpants and I'm a little draggy today. And I don't, I, uh, I don't care, you know, or whatever. So I can't have that attitude, you know, or just should just not show up. So, uh, to me, auditions were fun. We're part of that early process and listening out for that. And, uh, like I said, that drummer launch, it's, uh, it was a good thing and it still happens today, but it's, it's been, it's just canceled right now for indefinitely, but it's still a networking thing. It only happens once a month these days, but it's mm. still, it might be as much as 30 dudes in there, 30 drummers just getting together. Still dude came here yesterday. This other guy's been here for 30 years, you know, and everybody in between and we're all talking and sharing and um it's pretty based pretty well based in camaraderie and support and not um cat fighting and just stuff like that it's it's more solid and good stuff you know positive so that's a cool thing i know some other cities las vegas has a little drummer's lunch i think uh los angeles does one i think um but i know nashville's got a good thing going with that where it's just a a great um you know if you're available that time you go and you're going to run into, you're probably going to be there for longer than you mean to be because you're going to run into dudes and you're going to just talk. You're just going to yeah. talk drums. What's your gig? What are you doing, man? I saw your Facebook post about this, whatever, you know, you just catch up. I think so. that's amazing. I've never heard, I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, when I was an undergrad, we had that kind of support and in grad school, like our studio mates, you know, and the brass players, like we had this kind of uh, camaraderie and support for each other. And it was kind of a, it was like one of the things that made me sort of want to do this as a career right. is those kind of relationships you can build through it. Not necessarily the thing itself, but the relationships uh, that come from it. And so to have this opportunity to like just meet people of all walks of life, of all skill levels and just like be, be people together, I think is amazing. Oh, it is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing, man. And, and all of a sudden, uh, and I felt like, uh, it's weird. Nashville's a it's a it's a great place and I love it. And it's home. It's just like it's just everywhere you go, it feels almost like an audition, you know, in, in a sense. Because you're always meeting people who 
can potentially hire you or not hire you for a gig, you know, and yeah. you're, and then as you grow in stature and your place in town, you know, you might be doing some of the hiring and the calling and stuff like that. And people are, um, you know, so, and so you're trying to be aware of these new players or these guys that are, that are fitting the bill for, Oh, that's, yeah, he's a killer play, man. If an opportunity arises, I want to work, work with that guy or this girl or whatever, you know? And so, uh, you start to see that, but it's fun to have the deep pool of players, you know, just cause there's a lot of, a, a lot to get into a lot of variety. We all might have our country gigs that we jump on a bus for. And then we might have like our labors of love that we just kind of like play fusion music or play grateful dead music, or we play uh jazz or play whatever you get into, you know, that maybe pays, but maybe doesn't pay like what touring pays sometimes. So you're kind of like, uh, you know, you do touring, which is awesome and amazing and on, and it has its draw and beauty to it. And then you have like just playing, playing in a club for 10, 15 people. That's also fun. Yeah. Some of your most, you know, some of your best music is sometimes performed in those, performed in those intimate settings or, you know, you might rock out for more, put more heart into that one than for the arena. Hopefully you'd put it all in the same, but you know sure. what I'm saying? Uh, you know, so then how do we progress from you're just doing the thing, trying to, you know, get your name, you're playing more gigs, things like that. How do we progress from that to you get a call that puts you in a position of being music director with a, a, a you know, a country superstar, basically like Billy Carrington, and then take us into like what those responsibilities are and how you may have been prepared to do that. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, um, so early on, I guess, uh, as I was floating around, like I said, I lived with my sister and her husband for a couple of months. Then I moved in with, uh, with some drummers in a different part of town. And then I moved in with some other guys. And then I moved in with some other musicians. <laughs> so uh, you just kind of bounce around. So, But it was the, the, where I landed at a place called uh, Donaldson, which is just, out, just like a uh, suburb of Nashville. Uh, so we had this, there was four or five of us, uh, musicians that lived there and in this house. And, uh, so, and we were a couple of me and the bass player who, who also lived in the house. He was playing, we were playing in a cover band. We were playing in a, a band, a guy named Peter Moon. And that band was working around town. It was cool. And, um, uh, but, but the bass player, Sean, he, he, had another drum friend who had a line on this country gig. There was this new country singer, so uh, who was coming out, and it was Billy Carrington. But so, but the drummer friend of Sean's had Sean in on the gig, and they had a band set up. And so, but so they had it going on for a while. So I wasn't the original drummer with Billy, but uh, Joe, the drummer, he called me to sub for him a couple of times uh, over the next two years. I'd say this is about oh one, oh two, oh three. So I subbed in for him, meaning I just was substitute drummer. He had to miss for some reason for a weekend or something. So I would go out there. So I knew Billy, I knew the band, I knew the crew guys and stuff like that. So, uh, and it was always fun. They were, they were cool. Felt like a good fit always, you know, it was like, okay, this is, you know, this is play, what playing music should be. We have a good time, you know? So, um, and there's not a lot of red tape and just yada, yada. It's just what it is. But, uh, so uh, so at a certain point, Joe found himself in a position where he, he had to leave. So he left the band. This was probably 04. I was working with another country guy named Chris Jansen. Uh, he was a kid back mm -hmm. then. I know yeah, that name. He was, yeah. he was 19 back then, 18 or 19. He was, he was, he was like, 
we were playing all the local bars and we were playing, we would open for Sugarland and some different bands, but he was like Mick Jagger meets Iggy pop meets, uh, Hank senior. He was yeah. had this. Yeah. Chris Jans. If you're familiar with him, I so, am. Yeah. Yeah. He's like yeah, pretty he, popular now. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. yeah this is before big. he broke. So he was like brand new town, but, but he was working cause he was, he had it and he had the energy and had the thing. But, um, but so, so I got the call, Billy, Joe had left Billy. So Sean called me to come fill in. So for this particular instance, I did not have to audition because they knew me. I was friends with them. We had already, I had already played with them. So the audition process wasn't necessary. And sometimes that's how a turnover is here in Nashville. They just, you just pick a guy and you call them and if offer them the gig, if they want it, they take it. And if they don't, then maybe you go through an audition process and it can vary. You know, sometimes yeah. it does do the audition, but but it doesn't always do the audition. So I did not have to. And so, so I just started coming out there with them in 04 and this, and, uh, and after about two years, Billy uh, decided he wanted to take some time off. He took about a bigger, larger part of a year off. So we were just kind of all playing other gigs and stuff. And when he decided to put it back together, he kind of had let a lot of people go and just wanted to start fresh. And he called me and hired me and asked me, you know, to be his uh, band leader and music director and to start putting together a band. And so that, uh, that entailed at the time, um, I called some buddies and also began putting to get talking with management and setting up auditions. You know, we wanted to hear players. We wanted to see some fresh guys. Uh, it was me and one and the keyboard player who were called back and from the original situation. And so uh, we started throwing around names and numbers. We started coming up with guys, asking around, just looking for new blood. Also just looking for some talent that we might have overlooked in town because you end up knowing a lot of people rubbing shoulders with a lot of players, but maybe we miss somebody. And that's why you start calling five, six, seven guys to come to a, this basically a big warehouse. And we're going to, you just come in, bring your guitar and know these three songs and, and we're going to jam with you, talk to you for a minute. You got a 30, 45 minute time slot with that individual. They come in. Maybe they bring their amp and pedal board and gear, or maybe they don't, whatever you decide for the audition. Yeah. But uh, but they come in, you decide, is this feel like a fit? Are we, is this ready to go? Are we ready to go get on the bus right now and go play a gig? Uh, you know, and so you kind of, hopefully you find your guy through that audition process. You find who you're, who it is that you're uh, wanting to take out and wanting to fit. That's going to be a personality fit. It's going to be, uh, not have the baggage that's going to be causing issues out there, you know, but how do you know all these things when you're just meeting it for 45 minutes? Some people, you know, a little bit cause you've been in town. Other times it's a gamble on this individual, but you hope, you know, Hey, we feel great about this guy. Let's, let's, let's offer him the job, you know, or whatever. So, uh, so it can vary, but that's kind of how the process goes. And so I would be the one that would be starting to hire those guys. And there's a, uh, I said, I'm the, musical director. So on the band side of things, I would be making those decisions. But again, I, I'm not like my way or the highway. I, I, you bring, you surround yourself with quality people. I don't, I'm not a guitar player. I can play some chords, but I'm not going to be better than the guitar player. Right, Otherwise right. we're hiring terrible guitar players. If that's the case, <laughs> you know, so I want to hire the best guitar player, backup singer that I can, that we can, that we can find the best, you know, and the guy that who's going to fit in 
perfectly, you know, with he's going to get along with, with everybody in the band and he's going to mesh with Billy's vocals and this kind of thing. And there's just a good fit, you know, that's what you're striving for. And so you hopefully a lot over time, you get all these people locked in. And then on the, the, on the crew side of things, there's a crew, uh, like, a production manager and what he's doing is he's hiring crew guys underneath him a team he's assembling a team as well just like we're assembling a, a team of band members you know he's assembling a team of crew guys and then you got your buses so you know we got a band bus we got a crew bus we got a, a bus for billy and then we have a truck that's how we travel so three buses and a truck some of those buses might pull a trailer full of stuff behind them too with merchandise or something but uh the crew really works the hardest they get off every morning they just unload all the gear and set up a set up lighting and they use local hands local hands will show up to like move move this gear to there yeah right you know all that stuff so uh so they use local hands for that and then they'll uh and then they fine-tune set up all the gear we'll bring front of house and world and monitor world and all that stuff, you know? So, and then we have to go through, we have a daily routine schedule where we, you know, sound check is at three, you know, three for the band, four for the artist, you know, or whatever, or whatever it is. Catering's at five shows at seven thirty, you know, or this or that. And generally you kind of have a fixed schedule. Things can vary, but you, you end up having a, you're playing an arena tour. You're kind of on that schedule. Here's our deal every day. So we might get up and work out in the morning because that's my little time slip window to time to do that. And then there's lunch. And then you got about two hours so we can go play FIFA video games or something uh, or go take a jog or whatever, you know, whatever, you're yeah, into, yeah. you know, uh, whatever's going to pass the time. Or, uh, and then we got start noodling around at two or three, making noise, sound check, all that stuff. Go get a shower after that. So you kind of get in your routine. But uh but basically, to me, like getting getting and keeping a gig was all about, um, for one, being able to play good. Like I said, just you know, just being able to play, having pride in your playing, uh, having pride in your gear, showing up with good sounding gear, uh, stuff that sounds good, knowing the music, knowing how to be supportive in the music, how to serve the music, how to like, why do they want me instead of somebody else? Okay, well. Uh, you know, like I, I know that this music is, is like, there's some upbeat stuff, but there's a, some mids and ballads too. And it needs to be fat and you need to be able to play slow, open, big. And, and, and so own that, you know, own some of that stuff, like, uh, and shuffles, some shuffles, there's some train beats, things like that. So, uh, which is just part of the, you know, country music vocabulary, but still knowing where, what what Billy's shuffles are like and what his stuff, you know, how does his music sit and how does all this, you know, because um, there's lots of different ways of playing a shuffle, ways of playing a train beat, or, you know, for various styles of music or this, a George Strait shuffle was, that's cool, but, and awesome. And, and uh, but, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily 90s country. So maybe it was a little different kind of shuffle, a little more, a little harder or something, you know, so just variety in what it is. It's the same beat, but how do you play it? How do I play it? How does this guy play it? So, um, so again, we would hire players and then you really, you're hiring guys that you want to, or people that you be okay living with because you're only on stage an hour <laughs> or two a day. Do I want to spend 22 hours of the day with this person? Otherwise, right. <laughs> you know, and sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is, oh, of course, you know. So, I mean, uh, 
that's a part of it, you know, because a lot of times you're sitting on the bus, you're traveling, you're in a plane, you're, you're, you're trying to pass the time. So hopefully it's people that you enjoy being around, you know, and things like that. And you, uh, but again, that gig, it's fun. And, um, like we rehearse new music a lot, or I, I like to do a thing as band leader. Um, I don't, it's, as it's fun because, uh, I'll say, Hey guys, you know, everyday sound check. We had, we just have an established thing where, if one of our guitar players has a song he wants to just, it's not a, not a Billy song. We're not learning it for the show. We're just learning it for fun just because we want to keep our chops up. We want to explore some other musical genres and grounds. So we'll play like, oh, okay, well, let's play a Sting song or we'll play a Steely Dan song or, okay, we'll play uh, a Zeppelin tune, you know, or we'll play this or that. And, and it's like, all right, uh, let's, you know, or uh, one of the guys... Uh, always sang Jackson Brown, somebody's baby. We would just jam on that as a fun song. But other songs we would be that would pick that were musically like challenging. We always wanted to do War Pigs, and uh, I'm going to sing that one, but we haven't quite got it yet. But uh, so that's, <laughs> that's a fun one. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's cool that you're. It's clear that there's an element of like fun with what you're talking about. It is for sure fun. I feel like if it's not fun, we need to reassess or reevaluate how we're approaching it or whatever. Cause there's definitely work and stress and, and things that go along with the, a road gig like that. Um, but essentially the playing is so it's fun and you're playing with people that you love and that you want to play with and that you become brothers and buddies with. And, uh, and then at the end of the show, a lot of times Billy for he'll, he'll like shake hands for, not just four or five minutes, but like maybe 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, he'll stay out there and sign autographs. And so he wants dance party. He wants us to play. He doesn't. So we're not done. We didn't leave the stage. The band is, we're still playing. We're playing like Justin Timberlake. We're playing like uh, the weekend we're playing. He wants fun, just fun, jammy, uh, solo you know everybody's soloing forever and we're but we're trying to do upbeat fun music that get people moving that get people smiling and having fun that's it's that's a large that's that's a goal is to yeah for us I, i'd say that's one of the goals on the billy gig is for to promote audience fundum yeah fundum, that's good yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is yeah. uh but you know that's because we got to have fun for them to have fun too and if they can read that we're actually having a good time you can feel what's up on stage, you know, like when something's uncomfortable or awkward, it's kind of interesting, but it's still, you want success to happen. You want people to do well on stage when you're not on stage, watching some cringy go down. It's hard. Yeah. And you feel for that person and it can be funny in a moment, but it's still at the end of the day, that's like, ah, we feel we're, we know how it, how it is, man. That's, 10 seconds of cringe is like, it feels like five minutes or lifetime or whatever, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, this is so, this is so cool to hear. Cause for us, music director means like you make every decision and we have no input, but what you're describing right. to me is that you want to hire people that you can trust so that you don't have to make every single decision that everybody, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, but that's ingrained in our culture as orchestras that it's like, this is, and and to an extent we have so many more differing opinions, right? Everybody's coming from a different background. So the need for sort of one unifying voice is I think important, but I feel like it can feel like our voice doesn't matter sometimes because ultimately it's just like, 
whatever this guy says is what goes. And yeah, we're going to put an interpretation forth. And if nobody says anything, cool. But then if he does say something, then it's like, okay, well, so I, I dig you're, you're right. like saying that clearly like the prerequisites are you can play incredibly well, that you know the style that you're playing in so that you don't have to have those discussions basically. A lot of times. Yeah. You avoid a lot of that because people know what they're doing and 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 we definitely have musical issues that we address and need to like tackle it and and making uh you know segues between songs or doing vamps before and after tunes and those kind of things so but like I may have an idea or one of the other guys may have an idea and I don't want to poo poo that idea simply because it wasn't my idea that's you know as so if that's a good idea it's a good idea wherever it came from so let's maybe apply that and maybe we can make that work but i i get that in some situations perhaps it's just where musical director has to be a bit more of yeah here's what here's how it is and and we can't have too many cooks in the kitchen sure because we just can't you know that's one of my yeah that's one of my favorite sayings too because it it's like you get to a certain point where like everybody's opinion is too many opinions. And like, you know, I, I don't think yes. there's a right, I don't think there's a right and a wrong. I think it's just completely dependent on the situation. I agree. It is. And it's whatever that, that thing allows. And for this camp, I call it like our camp. And so for our camp, this, this method seems to work. And, and again, I don't want to be stepping on toes. We want musical excellence for sure. So we want to, we want to achieve that. And as long as I feel like everyone's striving to achieve that on a personal level and in a group level, then that's great. And everybody's willing to, Oh, Oh, okay. I need to fix that a little bit. I only need to tighten up that little section. That's me, my bad. Or we all take ownership or if somebody else points it out, we all have not, you know, not too thin a skin where we can all take, you know, it's, it's, it's friendly and constructive and, and everyone chooses to, it's because it's a choice because our brother, you know, I don't want to be a jerk yeah. to you. Yeah. What would that, where would that get me? You know? And then if I'm mean to the band guys and they show up and like, don't like me, then I don't, that's no fun. You know, right, if, I'm, right. if I'm a jerk or try to like d- display uh, musical director power too much, then I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, that's not where I'm at with it. You know, I, that's not, I want them to, Everybody's got to have fun, and it's their job and life and career. And so I feel like we all, we all pour so much into it. So, yeah, you know. But you know. So around here, it's no secret that I I've been asking questions about struggle for a very very long time now, and I am interested in people's. I'm in, interested in like what it looks like for people to succeed, but I'm also interested in learning about like the humanizing element uh, of struggle. So. I'm kind of curious. We don't have to dig super, super deep, but like what's an unexpected thing? Because playing playing in a band, playing drums in a band, touring all around with a guy like Billy Currington who's probably like selling out stadiums and stuff. I mean, he's super popular, right? Like what's something right. that is unexpectedly difficult about it that we wouldn't like, that's hard for someone like me to see because I'm not in like the middle of actually doing it. Um, so, uh, musically or just like living wise, life wise? I'd say any way you want to answer that question is totally legit. I, you, musically, you, you kind of already maybe touched on it that it's the uh, an element of sameness is like possibly quite difficult. Right. Um, but like maybe just like in terms of the lifestyle as well, or like just any difficulties you may, but we don't, we can't see because we're not in the middle of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, 
And and some of it may boil down to like first world problems. Say like, oh man, catering just wasn't that great today. <laughs> like, okay, okay, yeah. But <laughs> but essentially, you know, that's not a terrible thing. But uh, there's a because essentially we have food on the bus. We get to the venue and there's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and there's usually food to graze on. And not all the time. Sometimes it leaves something to be desired. But most of the time, it's pretty solid and that sort of thing. Uh, I know there's, I've seen some memes about musicians like uh, that we travel all over the place and wow, you must see everything. And yeah, like we see. And in the meme, there was a picture of the head guy's head in front of you in the van you're sitting in. Yeah. And then there was a, a roadside toilet picture. And then there's like, you know, so like, so it's not all glamorous, but like, but I uh, do the bus, the bus is good. I sleep great on the bus living in a bunk. I sleep really good. That whole bunk area, you can get super dark, dark and quiet and like you have your air blowing on you and you don't know if it's noon or midnight and <laughs> so you can sleep, you can get your sleep. That's pretty nice. Or, you know, there's front and back lounge and there's, you know, plenty of stuff to do and hang out. Uh, I guess some of the struggle is uh, you want to, you want to keep, um, try to stay healthy. You want to keep eating fresh because you just, if you start eating bad and like, you just you want everything to be good every day, and you know, weirdly, I guess uh, your digestive system to be rocking every day. You just want, you know, you just don't want like road food and bad food can add up. So you try to just eat good. I mean, those are like real life struggles. You want to you want to eat well on the road. Yeah, uh, and you want to sleep. You want to try to still have some routine, although it's still it's weird all over the map. There's a little bit more allowance for routine with bus traveling than with flying because flying can be all over the map, or you're or you just don't sleep good because you can't lay down. But so I do enjoy, but like I'll still, you know, if I'm hopping in a, you know, at, back when you could, you know, hop in a van with some guys, sometimes you do that and it's just, you grab sleep when you can, you try to get, get some exercise when you can, try to do some stretching. Like I got, you know, whether or not you're working out or something, you need to like wake your body up. So, I mean, there's some struggles of trying to, um, and, and when sometimes when I leave the house to go to the bus, whatever project I'm working on, that's got to wait. Whatever, you know. So sometimes I can, you know, I can take care of some bills and little put out some fires from the road if I need to. But a lot of times, just whatever's in process now, I'm getting on the bus. It's this world right now. I have that's all has to wait, you know, until I get back home now. So uh, I mean, uh, struggles in terms of like. I've 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 enjoyed being home a, a bit more this past year and being uh um uh, being able to be around family and not missing although you know the 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 family that I'm around a good bit um I see them you know quite a bit but uh first couple of months were weird but like I've seen my grandparents I, I mean my grandkids I see them all the time you know so uh they're just 20 minutes up the road so we're together with them quite a bit and you know but that so I really like when I go back out on the road again, I know, I always know I'm missing things, but it's a trade-off because I love music and I love doing that. But also there's that, a little bit of that struggle too of just of, of, hey, there's home, there's things happening without me at home and it's just fine that they are, but you know, but I miss them and wished I was there for those things and that's cool and that's just choices that I've made and that family's made and that everyone's good with or I would change Mm. what I'm doing, you know, or whatever, but it's all been, 
with my wife, she knows this is what this is my job and career in life, and she's happy with that and doesn't want me not to do that. But uh, for me, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, uh, I'm present here, but also present on the road if that's, you know, when that comes back. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, and it will. So. So I just have one more kind of big question and then I don't normally do a lightning round question, but I kind of have, I've thought of a few while we were talking oh, that sure. yeah, I think yeah. could be All fun right. to end it with. So like the last sort of big question is just, what does it look like for you to know when this lifestyle, is this like a forever type thing or do you foresee a, like a situation or can you like imagine a time where you'd say, if these things happen, that would be time for me to try to do something else. Is there a something else that you can think of that you would love doing? Uh, just like what would, what is like sort of the future possibly look like for you if you've thought about it? Oh, uh, well, uh, I guess, yeah, I know that's a thing because uh, music's so uncertain. Um, my wife's a school teacher, and since I've been a school teacher, I always, I do enjoy teaching. And I like, you know, so maybe I would, I don't know that I would teach again on a level like band director again. Maybe though, I mean, I don't discount any of that, but uh, I'd like to maybe pick up into the session world a little bit more, you know, be doing more of that. Uh, still doing road work, but maybe more in-town work. Uh, maybe more teaching, consulting, like talking with people about... Uh, and I'd love to, you know, people that are wanting to check out the Nashville experience, you know, what advice or any any input I can give them or wherever they are. I think virtually now we can, more than ever, we're realizing we can basically teach anywhere and there's so much going on. But like, uh, I do enjoy kind of teaching and coaching in terms of drums and trying to bring people to some new level or to some, to, to reach whatever goals this might be, you know? So uh, I don't know. So I've always, my, our family's full of teachers. So I consider myself from a teacher family and uh, my dad and mom were both teachers and uh, my sister's a teacher. Um, you know, and I've done some teaching and my wife's a teacher, my mother-in-law's a teacher. So, you know, it's just a thing. So sure. it's like, yeah. So teaching and education and that learning thing is always, a, I feel like always in our, in my life. And so that's, uh, which is cool. I think that's a great thing. So I don't know what, I, uh, I know I can't like my body won't, you know, won't last forever doing the road, but I, I think I want to do the road for a little while longer, you know, it's sure. still fun and feel good and young to do that. But like, uh, you know, as time maybe transitioned to more in town kind of studio work and, and a lot of people have been working at the house in the home studio and that's becoming a more popular thing. So just trying to grow that a bit and, uh, diversify, you know, so diversify income. So, you know, yeah, man. Uh, this music's so uncertain. You don't know. I mean, as we've seen, it really t t took a dive this year, just out of out of our control. Nothing we could do about it. Sure. No, I think it's a great perspective, and I, I wasn't necessarily trying to imply that you should. It's just I'm curious, like oh, no, you know, yeah. on things like you know, I've I've talked to other touring musicians who maybe do it a, a regular amount, and maybe they're doing it more than you're doing it in general, right? Maybe that's their whole gig. It's just a tour around versus like, maybe I have some at home and, but like, yeah, they're basically right. like, it's just a, like, you can't do it forever. Like it's, it's really hard on you to do it long term. So I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on that. So. Oh yeah. It's always good to have, have other, th other irons in the fires, but um, so that's kind of what I'm, working yeah. on as well. seems like that's a popular in Nashville. The home studio thing is just booming right now. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, 
Are you ready for lightning round real quick? I think so. Man. There's only three it questions. It's scary. It's, it's okay, not. Yeah. There's only three of them. Uh, uh, I a friend of mine. His name is Nick. Um, oh my gosh, he's gonna kill me. Do I have to guess his last name? No, I. Lauford, Nick Lauford. He just know, escaped just... me for a second. He plays trombone for uh, Toby Keith's band. Oh, sweet. Oh, perfect. And, okay. And uh, I asked him this question. I'm kind of curious. I asked him on a scale of one to 10, 10 being best friends and zero being, I don't know him at all. Like, how close are you with Toby Keith? And I think he said like two. So I'm kind of curious for you on a scale of one to 10 or zero to 10 or whatever, you know, one being not really that close, 10 being like, we are very, very close. How close are you with Billy Currington? Oh, uh, well, I've, I've known Billy for like, oh, like 15, 16 years. So I, I know him pretty well. Um, and, and I don't want to, uh, uh, put too much stock in me and say, Hey, we're best friends or whatever, but no, but I've known him for a while. So I'd say we're, we're good friends. I'd put, you know, what, six, seven, something like that. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, That's so cool. Like, like I don't want to. to yeah, he's thinking. Why'd you say you're my best friend? But you know, <laughs> if he hears this. But no. Nah, but I mean, I've, yeah, he's 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 great, man. We've known each other a long time. So I'd say, I'd, I'd say we know each other pretty well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next lightning round question. If you can pick, what's like your favorite place or arena or whatever that you've played in? Oh, uh, I'd say Red Rocks. Maybe that is a cool place. It's a cool place, man. There's a place called The Gorge in Washington that's similar but equally just fabulous and magnificent. It's amazing. But uh, both those places are real cool. Hollywood Bowl was kind of a cool place just because who'd have thunk I'd played at the Hollywood right, Bowl? Right, right, yeah. But, but that was neat. But just so uh, – but that's a couple right there, you know, whatever. So those are – but I'd say Red Rocks, man. That was a – that's amazing. Cool. Yeah. All right. I thought of a third. I thought of a fourth question. So we're going to insert uh, it right here. Nice. Um, is there any, sh are there any shows that sort of stick out? I mean, you've played probably a whole bunch, right? Over the years. Like, are there any shows that kind of stick out as like the crowd was especially into it or like something crazy happened that was like this one show kind of sticks out in your memory? Um, well, let's see. A lot of show. Um, I mean, definitely a lot of memorable shows. Um, and we let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, the one most memorable show well, it was almost like a, a, and I don't want to be a downer. It was in it was in uh, Camrose, Alberta. It was when a tornado hit, and we had to clear the stage. It was one of the scariest moments of our lives. Really, it was wow, it was like for real. Tornado or frontline wind was what they called it, but which is essentially a quick tornado or maybe just a non funnel cloud tornado, but it's the same type of thing. But, uh, so it came and knocked the whole stage down while we were on it and we had to run for our lives and just, it was nuts. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was scary. It was one of those really like, like, okay, this stage is falling. I mean, this was a massive, like well-built huge outdoor vent festival venue stage. That's, you know, massive rigging and blah, blah, blah. And, crumbled to the ground and it was like you know so this was kevin kevin costner was there gary allen was there this is uh this is like a big canadian music festival it was just that's it was definitely memorable not for the right reasons but uh we did fly home on a private jet so that was nice but uh uh billy got a little bit injured and our bass player got a little bit injured that was um memorable but like playing in playing in the middle of new york city though too that's super memorable we played like in one of these theaters like to me that's 
amazing. I don't know. I, yeah. I do enjoy. I like. Uh, there's so many great venues. I don't know. That's cool, so, man. Nah, I just was curious if did were you able to save your drumsticks from the tornado? Did you I went grab back those, or and, did you uh, just get out? <laughs> well, I went back and the, there was cops kind of and emergency workers kind of clearing out some areas, and so I went back because uh, I had to grab like I wanted to grab my stick bag and my metronome, mm-hmm. so I, I was able to kind of sneak up on the front of the stage and got that, and then they were shooing people away. I see, like, can't, yeah. can't be up here, man. Get out of here. So. uh it was yeah, that was yeah, that was a rough time. But uh, I think since it was we had flown up there, it was Canada. We probably were using all like, um, backline gear. I see, meaning yeah. it was just all rental gear. But uh, seriously, a Nord keyboard, it was flying in the air. I mean, not just like knocked over; it flew in the air. Oh I mean, it was <laughs> this is tornadic. It was it was cra- insane, man. I'd never. Uh, yeah, All I never right. want to go through it again. But anyway, memorable. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely memorable. Uh, last question: What is your favorite Billy Currington song to listen to? To listen to, not to play. To listen for, to. Yeah. Let's see. Do you want me to give you mine? Yeah. To- the one that where he says, uh, "God is good." Wait, beer. God is great. Beer is good. And people are crazy. That's my favorite. Yeah, Billy. yeah. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, we used to play that every night. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, let's see. I'll hear people play that one downtown sometimes. I do like uh, it. Don't hurt like it used to. Mm-hmm. That's always been a favorite of mine. Um, and that's one we play as well. So that's uh, I do enjoy playing that one a lot, but. But that's one I do enjoy listening to. Uh, he has some. It's fun to go back to some of the older records too, though, and some of those that songs that we really don't play in the set as much anymore. But there still is just some really great music that I that we may have used to play or maybe never made the set. But just it's kind of like, yeah, man, that's some that's some cool stuff, and it just kind of reaffirms me like I'm, you know. This is good music. I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's, you know, it's like even some of the ones that are more ballad like that aren't so, it's not about it being a drummy, drum heavy song. It's more like it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, um, So, yeah, man. Jamie, this has been awesome. Like the great introduction to getting to know you just a little bit. I really appreciate your your time in doing this. Um, I always try to have my guests uh, share a, a way for my listeners to get a hold of them if they wanted to say like I enjoyed the episode or were interested in connecting. Are there any ways that my audience might be able to get a hold of you and and say some kind words or anything else? Oh, let's see. Oh, well, thanks and, and yeah, thanks so much for having me too, man. Really blessed talking with you and all that stuff. And uh, like I said, it's always fun and easy just to talk about drums and music. And, yeah, sure. And and life and stuff. So it's a good time. But uh, let's see. Uh, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram, and that's, uh, I guess it'd just, I don't think it's anything crazy, just Jamie Rogan. And I think it might be at Rogan Drum on okay. Instagram. I'll find it Rogan. and put it in the bio, yeah, or in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, maybe put it on the bio. Yeah, that's cool. And anybody hit me up, whatever. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm always uh, looking to meet new people, and everybody's, that's what's great about life and music is in particular is the networking, meeting sure. new people, meeting players, and Every, every aspect of the business. That's what makes it fun. So, uh, but yeah, this is really cool. I, thanks so much. Dude, man. absolutely. No, if you, if you want to get in touch with Jamie, try that out. Um, I, excuse me, 
If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that by going to thatsnotspit.com. Uh, you can find me at That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate you giving it a like and a rating and a review. Oh, gosh, I'm getting my YouTube lingo mixed up here. A rating and a review on uh, iTunes. And don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it and hear it for themselves. Uh, thank you so much to Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.